Hi, I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir. We're in Washington, D.C. I'm here with my sister, co-founder of Share Our Strength, Debbie Shore. Deb, thanks for being here, as always. Yeah, there's goodies here, so I'm happy to be here. And we've got goodies because we've got Megan Ogilvie from Dog Tag, Inc., who brought so many treats. We're going to talk about them as we get into it. But, Megan, thanks for being here. Yeah, super excited. Uh, and Michael Babin, uh, recovering political and policy Capitol Hill <laughs> aide. Uh, we worked on Capitol Hill for a little bit at the same time. Uh, but you went into the restaurant business and you're building community and working on some pretty important policy issues related to food through your work with the, the restaurant group. Thank Thanks you. for being yeah, with us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Um, Michael, let's start with you. I'm yeah. kind of fascinated by the, I, I don't think I know anybody else who worked on Capitol Hill and worked on policy issues who went in, and I know the restaurant industry pretty well now since you know that's at the right. core of Share Our Strength, right. who made the choice that you made. And I'm just curious how it even started. You've got uh, Church Key, you've got um, Birch and Barley, mm-hmm. yep. uh, you've got the Evening Star, the Evening Star Iron um, Gate, Iron Partisan, Gate, yeah. a lot of restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, what what kind of uh, made the switch for you? Well, so there was a transitional point. I went to work for a uh, for lobbyist after working for uh, Senator Bennett Johnston, uh, Charlie McBride here in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie's an old Washington hand and guy that I admired, you know, so much. Um, and I had a great experience doing that. And really, you know, learned uh, that the standard sort of version of what a lobbyist does and is 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 not always true. You know, we we did a lot of great work and uh, for a lot of people. Um, and at the end of it, though, I felt like uh, being a consultant just wasn't. I wasn't able to kind of grab it as much as I wanted to. Uh, so I uh, decided I wanted to be in business and food. You know. Food just kind of happened naturally. Growing up in Louisiana and, you know, an Italian grandma in Louisiana, we, we ate all the time and we, we thought about if we could just open a restaurant, you know, it'd be so great. Maybe the strongest food culture of anywhere in the country in Louisiana. I think so. I think it is. I mean, when, you know, you've got a blend there that is uh, unmatched anywhere. And I think people think about it and take it more seriously in the households than anywhere else. It's, it's just it's, it's a nonstop obsession. So did you actually have it in the back of your mind, uh, even while you were on the Hill or when you were doing lobbying, like, you know, maybe I'm going to have a restaurant someday? No, but I, not exactly. But, you know, I mean, when I was in college, uh, you know, we had a great dining hall uh, at Yale. And I, but my third year, I actually put like a little makeshift kitchenette into my dorm, you know, and would cook on a regular basis. I mean, you know, food is just something that... I never really thought about it as a business did, did you, uh, until did, it started to happen. Did but. you feel like you would start building community when you started restaurants? Or did, where did, was that sort of we, parallel in your thinking? I think that, you know, my because of the policy background, because of the, that, how important that is for me, when I started thinking about business, I, it was never a separate thing. Like community and how do you give back and how do you uh, have it all mean more than money uh, was always, you know, in the front of my mind. And so... Uh, when we started the first business, we did a lot of things to try to make it meaningful uh, for our guests, but also just for people in the community who weren't able to come to that restaurant. And that was 20 years ago with the Evening Star in uh, Delray, Alexandria, Delray neighborhood, which was a very different place back then and needed a lot of help. So it's always been at the front of my head, you know. Well, Debbie and I, when we left politics, we started organizing restaurants. Maybe we should have opened restaurants. <laughs> no, I think we, you did I'm a little thing. bit jealous. <laughs> we, we, we talked about it. We did talk about it. Yeah. But uh, we did Only better for Sheriff on the other not, not opening it. But it, it is but, one of those yeah. things, right? Not everybody sits around uh, the kitchen table and talks about 
you know, starting a, a tech firm or a dry cleaner. Mm-hmm. But everybody at some point talks yeah. about opening a it's restaurant because right. it's That's fun, right? right? And right. it's cool. We all enjoy this. It's a, it's a part of our lives. Uh, and Megan Ogilvy, you did that in a way. You're the CEO now of Dog Tag mm-hmm. Inc., which has Dog Tag Bakery. Um, you work primarily on veterans issues, but food has been a tool or a vehicle for providing kind of training and yeah. experiences that are very important. Tell us a little bit about how you got there, uh, and then what is the work of dog tagging? Yeah, um, so I think how I've gotten to dog tag is a, a series of unexpected opportunities, um, the doors that opened up and I just walked through. Um, first of all, I'm really impressed that you're a junior and you cooked in college, because that never really happened. <laughs> so when I was in college, um, I played soccer, and I was really fortunate to get a scholarship to play. But I come from Where did you a, go? A, uh, University of Richmond, uh-huh. yeah. but my father and sister both went to the Naval Academy. My father was an All-American goalie in lacrosse. My sister mm. played basketball. So when I got recruited there, you know, the big eyes of my father's, hey. And I made a decision that that wasn't my calling. And so I told my dad, I'll try to do ROTC in college. I'll try to figure it out. You know, my dad, as thoughtful as he is, he says, listen, Meg, go get a great education, play soccer, and you'll find your way to serve. And that was something that always kind of resonated with me and figuring that out. So it didn't create out. any kind of breach in your family that you were not going to the No, Academy. thankfully I had two brothers in between my sister and I, um, and neither of them. Okay, um, all right, so that took the pressure exactly. off. Exactly, yeah. and so, and my family's always been really, uh, my, both my parents have been very open about kind of, not about achievement, but more about growth, and kind of figuring out your own plan and what that looks like, and so I felt really capable to make that decision and, and not have a problem about it, but you know, it really kind of stuck with me. And so I ended up uh, moving to New York after graduating. Well, I played abroad, actually, and then I came back. Um, and I moved to New York with no job and became a receptionist at Lehman Brothers um, and ended up working with the CEO, Richard Fold, and Joe Gregory as a receptionist. And there's, you know, it's kind of interesting, the, the timeline of your life and the different skills you kind of pick up and lessons you learn. And, um, and then I ended up working on a trading desk. I ended up becoming a middle office analyst for equities for institutional clients domestic, international. I'm a sociology major that played soccer. So I literally, when I interviewed them, they're like, you want, do you want to work in equities? I was like, sure, just what, what's an equity? <laughs> you know, and so for me, it was really, again, I just thought this is such an awesome opportunity. And um, when you talk about those things, you know, I when I was in New York, I used to go to coffee shops all the time. And when I played abroad, I used, the one place I'd always go was the same coffee shop. And I used to always say, like, I just love it, right? There's just something about community of coming in, having a cup of coffee, and so there's, I think there was always that kind of idea of I'd love to have my own, right? But how am I going to do that? Um, so what happened is that I was up in New York and I got a phone call. And um, I was one of my best friends from college and she said, this is going to sound crazy. I know you're in New York. I know you love it. But I know you're also, you know, kind of really looking to be passionate about something. I was really having that same kind of, I wanted something to have as my own. And so he, she said, there's a one-armed Jesuit priest trying to start a nonprofit for veterans in D.C., I was like, that sounds crazy. I think my response is like, where's the rabbi? Like I thought it was a joke. You know, like what's the next, like a horse walks into a bar yeah, kind of mentality. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and so she said, place. no, I'm serious. And guess what? He's officiated my wedding that you're going to be attending because I was a bridesmaid. And who was the priest? Uh, Father Richard Curry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm being set up with a Jesuit priest at a wedding. It's like, great. This is what my dating life has come to. Um, but what happened is I met him at the wedding. And I think this is kind of when you meet people that change your life. And his passion and his vigor and his excitement, but also his his conviction on being an avenue or support for veterans that are transitioning out of the military and, and giving them not just a job or a, an education, but really the empowerment and that platform to really propel forward in, in a really positive and more um, 
more thoughtful way was something that I just couldn't get out of my head. So by the end of the weekend, I convinced him to give me a job. And within, I was in May of 2011, and I moved to D.C. in uh, March of 2012. And did, you, did your friend know of your family's military background? And she did. And you would feel a connection she, to exactly. this set of issues? She's, you know, uh, and, and I think that, that was my struggle, is that working in finance, I mean, it's great. You know, maybe like on the Hill, there's different, different forms of power, right, and money and competitiveness and all of this thing. It, it really drives the market, um, which I could re- relate to. But my favorite part of my job was my clients and doing a good job for them. It was really more for me about customer service. It was about the market. And that's something I really started identifying is that I love people and I love the idea of, of, of doing a good job and serving people. And so that's something that when I heard about this opportunity, I really thought this could be maybe I can, you know, something I can really get my hands in. And how, how did Father Curry land on the issue of veterans for himself? Um, so we have two co-founders, Father Curry and Connie. So they're the ones that really made this is all this happen. Connie Milstein? Connie Milstein, mm-hmm. yep. So she's a successful businesswoman, but amazing philanthropist. Mm-hmm. Um, and Father Curry um, was a Jesuit priest and became a priest actually because of service with veterans. Um, but he actually had a nonprofit called National Theater Workshop of the Handicap, where he worked with people of disabilities in the art and craft of theater. So it was either helping them get jobs, empower them, whatever it might be. But as a Jesuit, he was also the bread maker, which is really interesting. So he actually has a New York Times uh, bestseller called The Secrets of Jesuit Bread Making. Uh, it was followed up by the secrets of Jesuit soup making. It's a not, special niche. Yeah, not as not as <laughs> <Very> narrow niche. <laughs> not is. as popular, but the bread making. And so what he started doing, and he had a school in Maine and a theater in New York, is he started using the school and uh, those that were in the program, they started baking bread. Um, and after 9-11 hit, his theater and school were directly affected um, in the sense that he stopped taking donations. And all donations uh, started going to uh, first responders and their family. Um, and then uh, he started getting phone calls from Walter Reed. Between 2004 and 2008 was some of the highest level of combat and amputees. So he started coming down to Walter Reed, and he started working with a lot of these men and women returning to a new life. And he always saw his, you know, he was born that way, but he always saw his missing his right forearm as a gift. Mm-hmm. And only him and only he can come down and talk about, you know, missing a limb as a gift. Mm-hmm. And so um, he really started working with these men and women. He even officiated a few weddings at Walter Reed. I mean, he became part of this community, and he really saw that there was a need to not, again, just give them a handout. It was really about giving them tools and teaching a man or woman how to fish. And so, um, again, his conviction, he decided that he was going to shut down his nonprofit and really focus solely on veterans. So he moved to D.C. as a Jesuit brother, went to Trinity at age 63 to 65, went back to school, and at age 67 was ordained a priest. Um, He became an adjunct professor at Georgetown, and he really started this idea of dog tag. Um, And the idea of dog tag is that he wanted to represent all the branches. And he wanted to represent, you know, uh, that feeling of, of, of honoring someone who has served or is serving. And the only thing, you know, everyone has a different camo, a different grunt, all of that. Again, coming from a Marine Corps family, um, he realized that dog tag is something that people hold on to, right? They hold on to their grandparents' dog tag. Yeah, I've got my dad's. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it's something of honor, right? Yeah. And so he wanted that to be uh, kind of the forefront of our organization is that of honor and respect, but representing all branches and those who have served and those that continue to serve. So when you... Think about creating opportunities for veterans and others. I'm thinking, Michael, about, you know, with restaurants, we've talked, you know, you create great food. You've got incredibly popular restaurants here in D.C. and Virginia. You create community, but you also create opportunity. I mean, restaurants are an entry-level place. I don't tell so many people you employ and kind of what they're, you know. <clears throat> they're like you know, uh, I think full time we're at about eight hundred. You know, part timers wow. adds a lot to that. But um, yeah, so um, it, it is. I mean, there, a lot of people uh, uh, are, their first job is working in a restaurant, 
Um, and it can be phenomenal, especially if you're working on, uh, you know, on the floor, uh, helping guests, then, you know, you, you get tips and it's, 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 you can do mm-hmm. quite well. I think sometimes it's hard for people to transition to something else because they're doing so well working on the floor in the bar that it's hard to, you, they're going to take a pay cut when they, when they leave that job to go do their professional thing. Um, and, and for some people and a core of people that we work with for a long time, it's their profession. It's what they're really going to, going to do. Um, and so it is, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, we, we you know, we, we feel like, uh, we have this big family of people that are so a lot of whom work for us and a lot of whom work in other restaurants or work in other fields. And, but we come we see them all the time, you know, I mean, the number of people that we've, uh, employed over, over 20 years and who are now doing all kinds of amazing things is really astronomical. It makes you feel good. You know? And you've got more than a dozen restaurants now? And we have, uh, uh, yes, uh, 16 restaurants wow. and you know another few businesses that are not, the food businesses that are not restaurants, a brewery and uh, meat production. and so. What's the brewery called? Blue Jacket. Blue Jacket. Yeah. It. yeah. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And, and yeah. I love that you're so into beer. Oh, yes. Because I am too. I have like <laughs> yeah, a yeah. question about wine or beer, which I love both, but you know, beer is just, we, right, I mean, nowadays, <laughs> right, with all the breweries yeah. and all the local beer, Absolutely. it's so good. It is. It's uh, we we love it all. You know, we 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 did uh, more wine focused things. We opened a wine shop when we first got started, um, and and then I think four restaurants in we did a restaurant uh, <clears throat> that really tried to elevate beer to the level of wine in a in a in a great restaurant. You know, that really got the care and attention, the scope of the program, and uh, and like I said, I love all of it. Of course, you know, <laughs> in the business, but but beer is definitely special. Yeah. For me, for us, we, we love it, and the culture of it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, Megan brought some samples of the pastries. I assume the beer we pick up at the reception room on, on our way out. <laughs> Absolutely, of course. Idea. I would have brought that, but okay. yeah. not in the morning. It is, I don't know. It, is, yeah. it is a little early. Bill, I, I went to meet uh, Megan and to get to know her a little bit before I invited yeah. her onto the show. So I went to the bakery, and it was, you know, the, the atmosphere was so warm and mm-hmm. so inviting and you had people just having coffee and having breakfast and then you had you know you had the veterans there mm-hmm. in little different tables doing different trainings and so on yep. um, and one of the things of course it strikes everybody when you walk in is the chandelier which is made out of dog tags so can you tell yeah, us a little bit cool. about like why and how many are up there I mean it's sure. just it you it's such a centerpiece when it you is. walk in it's like oh my god look at that chandelier and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger right yeah <laughs> so cool so one of the um when we first opened or designing the bakery, um, Connie was really adamant about making this a place that people walked in and felt hopeful and felt welcomed. And they felt like you're going into your friend's kitchen or living room. And so when you walk in, it's bright. And there's red, white, and blue, but there's a lot of white. Um, some people think they're kind of going to come support a nonprofit and they expect it to be like a dingy hole in the wall. Let's do a nice thing today. And they walk mm-hmm. in, they're like, I am don't take this offensively. Like, I'm surprised. <laughs> and I'm like, that's great. Um, but um, our chandelier is made of 3,456 dog tags. So literally the day I met Father Curry at the rehearsal dinner, um, he pulled out his wallet and pulled out this picture. And it was a picture of, um, it was actually it was actually uh, representing the Vietnam War. Um, it was uh, at the Chicago Vietnam Memorial. And it was um, over 50,000 chandelier uh, dog tags in his chandelier. And uh, we were just mm-hmm. talking about the, the PBS thing, so it's kind of apropos. But he said, this is beautiful, right? It's, and, it's, and it's gorgeous, and it's all these dog tags that have the light that hit them in different ways. And, it, and it's, a kind of a, it's not only a piece of art in its own right, but it's a representation of, of those who have served. And so he's like, we have to have this in our bakery. 
So it actually, it's in our bakery, but also hangs above our stage. So part of our program, and I can tell more about the program later, but part of our program, our fellows go, go through a course called Finding Your Voice. And the goal is that they talk, uh, they go through this, Father Curry actually curated it and, and developed the program. Um, it's where they go and they learn how to tell their story. Because you talk about trauma or you can talk about combat, you know, whatever that looks like. But what we say is that, you know, the trauma has created the strength that you have today. And you are here today and we're so thankful for that. So let's not only own your story, but learn how to tell it and let you be the voice of it. And so that helps propel you move forward. So that's the stage with the chandelier above it that we think is just kind of this magical aspect that the night before everyone graduates from our program, they go on stage in front of family and friends wow. and they tell their story, sometimes for the first time to their own family. And so the, the, wow. the, the chandelier has, has power in that as well. You know, one, one of the things I was thinking about in advance of today, I was watching this Vietnam uh, special last night on PBS, which this is, is the Ken Burns. very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, Ken Burns documentary, eight, eight part series, really, really powerful. And I was thinking about today's session. I was thinking that because they had some POWs on talking about what it was like, mm -hmm. you know, all these many years ago. Obviously, this lives with them every day. It's so fresh. And to have a place where they're not only getting skills for the future, but they're also able to talk and be with their brotherhood, right? right. Which is what this is for them for their whole right. life. Um, you know, just to have touch points for people who have been through war, um, who can be together and, and share and tell their story. I thought that was just such a special thing, which is what your bake. There aren't many places like that, right? right? And the bakery offers that. Right. So say a little bit more about who the veterans are, how the sure. program works for them. I'm assuming it's more Iraq, Afghanistan Correct. related in terms of the time zone that we're in now. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they're coming to get uh, five months or six months worth of very specific skills uh, in business and entrepreneurship so that they can kind of go out and be successful on their own. Is Absolutely. The, uh, the whole process and the whole program is really built, again, on teaching a man or woman how to fish. So we provide opportunity, and it's for those that go through our program to take advantage of the opportunity. So we recruit um, veterans post 9-11 that have service-connected disabilities, but we also bring in military spouses and military caregivers because we believe that the whole family serves. Um, and a lot of military uh, spouses and caregivers really face uh, employment issues because of the multiple moves, uh, forcing them to do more volunteer work and actually getting jobs, X, Y, and Z. So it's a five-month fellowship program um, where we have a beautiful bakery in Georgetown, right, right, right near on 3206 Gray Street. Beautiful cafe, scratch bakery, everything. But above it is actually a classroom. So for five months, four days a week, we have 12 fellows, that we call them, that come into our program. And we have Georgetown professors that come twice a week to teach seven different courses. So um, principles of management, marketing, accounting, finance, business policy, entrepreneurship, and communication. So upon completion of tests, papers, presentations, over the five months, and completing all seven courses, they earn a certificate in business administration from Georgetown University through the School of Continuing Studies. So our goal is that we're going to give you a, we're going to give you an opportunity to get a foundation in business. But then what we do is we actually use our organization and business as this incubator. So nine hours a week, they're working. Uh, they'll go through four different areas of management. They'll work with our director, our director of finance and strategy. They'll work in the front of house and back of house, and then we'll work with our director of operations. And there's different learning objectives through each. So they'll learn actually how to prospect donors, how to write grants, how to report grants. They'll go through and actually look at our, at our budget, look at our P&L, go through our expenses, do a cost analysis. Are our prices even uh, competitive or not? Mm -hmm. um, they'll work in the front of house, customer service, uh, learning, creating SOPs, back of house. They'll learn how to make product. Can you tell us about uh, one or two of them? I mean, like sure. a real 
person who's been yeah this is actually program. connects to michael and i so um as chairman of arcadia mm-hmm. um what we and, actually and arcadia mm-hmm. is a center for center sustainable for food and food agriculture that right. you chair mm-hmm. michael okay yeah. we're gonna come back and talk about right. that yeah it's, in a it's sec. brilliant it's absolutely brilliant um we've been able to do some work directly but one of our graduates um his name is peter scott he served 12 years in in the united states army he went through three combat tours uh, special intelligence and, and he's combat co- tours in um iraq yes okay. in afghanistan, afghanistan. so w- with that you know he came back saying this is a new reality i'm not going to sit behind a desk and he took a year off to really focus on his wellness and he came in one day he was going to the dmv in georgetown and walked and wandered in i was like what's your deal it's like let's do this you know <laughs> so i sat down i told him about our program and he's like i've been getting into beekeeping um i love agriculture i've uh, been a butcher you know i, I want to figure out how i can find purpose with this so we said this is the program Come in, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give you the tools and the and the, and the you know the skills to understand and develop this. So about halfway through our program, he started his own nonprofit. It's called Fields for Valor. So now he has property um, in Hyattsville, and he's looking to to get some more. And he has bees on the roof of Sibley Hospital. And every month, he brings fresh produce and honey to Operation Homefront at Walter Reed. And his goal is that he can feed five to ten families every month with fresh for the fresh food, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how amazing is that? Right. And fresh honey, and you know, there's there's nothing in it, and it's just organic, and he loves it. But also, maybe that family gets to save two hundred dollars that month just on fresh produce mm-hmm. that they would have spent, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe they can go buy a suit, or maybe they can go take their family off and get off base and go do something fun. So for him, it's really about the service uh, of being able to provide fresh fruit, uh, fresh fruit and, and and honey, but also. He's also now getting the opportunity for himself of really kind of doing what makes him him feel uh, whole and make him feel like he has purpose again. Um, we have another graduate because we're in a culinary uh, discussion. Mm-hmm. Rachel uh, Harris. She came from our program. She was Navy. Uh, she went through some specific trauma bef- pre and during service, um, and was kind of uh, in a paralysis of anxiety. She came into our program saying she worked in culinary in the Navy, like I said, which did really well, but her anxiety and stress was almost just this uh, armor that she wore, and she couldn't break through it. So she came into our program saying, you know, I want to really develop. I might want to start my own bakery, and she's, a ph- she's phenomenal. And going, going through the program, she realized halfway through that the brick and mortar is just not her deal. She doesn't have the time, mm-hmm. the capability, but she wanted to start her own pop-up. So now she started her own pop-up of biscuits. Um, has a few other a few other items, but she makes these delicious biscuits uh, with Old Bay, with uh, melted cheese, with the crap. I mean, it's unbelievable. She also has a chocolate chip with bacon in it. Ooh. And so she went through our program. She actually, we have a, a part of our program is called a capstone where you have to build your own business plan. So she had the opportunity of building her business. Um, and so now she's actually, it's called Vix, Vix Homegrown. And so she actually now has a pop-up at Three Star Brewery. Yeah. At least once a week, she's now the Rose Park uh, Farmers Market, um, and she actually just got into, accepted into the um, Union Market um, Fellowship Program, mm-hmm. and she got a, a scholarship for it. So she came into our program, uh, and now you know now she's now she's going out in. Uh, I mean, she's at a, she's at a farmers market. She's engaging with her community. Right. She's you know she now we invested in Rachel, and now Rachel's investing in her community. And she gets to go back and feed people delicious food, but she loves it, right? She can't get enough of it. But also, you're seeing Rachel uh, as Rachel. You don't see the anxiety. Mm-hmm. You don't see the stress. You don't see the, you know, the jitters. Now you see a, a really a powerful young woman that has, you know, the confidence of moving forward. And now she's, you know, she's building a business. And it's, mm-hmm. and this is just three months ago. So these really life-changing success stories must be creating additional demand 
for your services? Do you have a waiting list? Um, we, we do. Are you going to, you know, for Michael, one restaurant wasn't enough. You had to have 16. <laughs> are there going to be more? So the difference is that, you know, our goal isn't to create more bakeries across the country. Our goal would be to start program where programs that there's a need for what we do. And I think the difference is that we are a nonprofit. And so for us, you know, we want to exist for the purpose of serving. Um, and so we will only go to areas that there's a demand for in, with veterans that are, you know, service members that are transitioning out um, to, that would need this opportunity. And so that's what we're looking at. Mike, I want to talk about some mm-hmm. of the policy work that you're doing mm-hmm. with the uh, Center for Food Arcadia, and Agriculture, the Arcadia yeah. Center mm-hmm. for Food and Agriculture. You, you're chairing it. Did you also start I, it? I started uh, it, yeah. And w- how did this connect to your experience to the restaurants? In, in the food yeah. industry? Yeah, well, you know, I think being in the restaurant business gives you sort of a front row seat on the food for the food system. You see a certain part of it, but as you dig into it more and more, you, you know, you, you'd have to really close your eyes to not see all the dysfunction in it. Um, <clears throat> and sourcing our products has always been really important to us. We want to give people food that, you know, is nutritious, is good for them, and not just, you know, uh, edible. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, and sourcing, when we started 20 years ago, sourcing really responsibly was very hard. There weren't a lot of far- small farms in the area that were willing to work directly with the restaurant. So we worked really hard at that. And, you know, at some point it, it just became, I, I wanted, you know, we, we, were, we were doing a lot of work. We continue to do a lot of work with individual small community organizations and nonprofits. And but at the end of the year, it was hard to say, okay, you know, we did we did a little bit for the lymphoma society, we did a little bit for these guys, a little bit for these guys, but you know, what does it add up to? And 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 it's not these aren't these are all really important, valid, and worthy causes, but um, you know, it's not in the area that we know something about. So there's no multiplier effect that we can bring to this. We're just it's a check, you know. So. Arcadia came out of that. It was just really uh, trying to say, let's let's make this more meaningful, let's make it more significant, and let's do something in the arena that we live and work in every day. Um, so uh, there was a 2010. I started Arcadia after sort of sit, stay, sitting on the side of the standing on the side of the pool for a while. Jumped in, um, uh, didn't really understand that it's it's good to have a funding strategy before you start a nonprofit. So we <laughs> sort of jumped right in. I think you, you might have been in a similar right. situation. Very much. Um, and, uh, you know, so, um, neighborhood restaurant group, uh, has been, you know, the, the key, the core support for Arcadia was for, for many years. Arcadia now is, is really booming on its own. We do a number of programs. We looked at, you know, what we wanted to do. We saw that there were so many great people and great, um, entities in this arena and the food system in general who were looking at specific parts of it, you know, and that, what we saw was that, you know, we wanted to be an organization that addresses the system as a system. So to look at the connecting parts and how, how you know, where are the gaps? Why is the system so dysfunctional for so many people? You What's know? the best example? What's the best way to understand that dysfunction? Does it have to do mostly with what you were talking about in terms of sourcing or the inability yeah. to get fresh food or close food? Or I think there's so many. I mean, but I think that, you know, when you focus on one issue, you can have... In, in almost inevitable, it's inevitable that we're going to have the law of unintended consequences is always going to be in effect, right? But you know, I think uh, the, the the farmers market movement is is has been a phenomenal, great thing for farmers and for communities. But most of the communities that it affected um, has affected are well off communities. Mm-hmm. That's where farmers markets exist. That's where mm-hmm. they can exist on their own. So one of the first things that we 
did was we, we wanted to do a, a mobile farmer's market, we called the mobile market, and go out into food deserts and run farmer's markets selling um, phenomenal food. We didn't negotiate to, for better pricing from the local sustainable farms. We paid them the full asking price. We brought it into the communities, and we continue to do this. We run about 16 farmer's markets in food deserts every week. Um, uh, but one of the things that we found was that Culturally, you know, one of those unintended consequences was that people in these communities felt like farmers markets. This food is not for me. It's going to be expensive. It's you know, it's confuses for this is this is rich people stuff. You know, and so uh, you know, we we th- that's a really small, simple example. I mean, the biggest example, of course, is that the the people who need this food, who need good food, the most. Um, are the ones least likely to ever have it show up on their plates, you know, and so they they suffer this you know cataclysmic chain of events, all related to poverty, of course, but uh, and food is one part of that. But the food impact is obviously huge because how can a kid learn, as you guys know well, and your programs that you're doing are making a huge impact on this. But um, how can a kid learn, or how can a how can a person have an opportunity? People who grow up poor in this country get one chance, maybe, you know, and if something goes wrong that one time, it's not, it's not like us, you know, we didn't, you, know, you get multiple chances mm-hmm. in our lives. Uh, so <clears throat> food is one of those, but it connects to so many of those opportunities, so many opportunities for a fail, for a fail, you know, if they're not eating enough or just maybe, maybe not eating the right stuff. So, um, so, you know, we got involved uh, to do that. We, because of that, we have a very broad range of programs. We we do a um, we do uh, the far, the mobile market that I mentioned. We do educational programs, uh, which are really designed to get kids out to the farm. They they learn about food. They harvest food. You work with schools. We work and with schools. Arrange yeah. trips for them to come Absolutely. to the farm. So we have you know thousands of kids out every year. We do farm camp in the summer as well. Uh, four weeks of a day camp. And, uh, you know, we hear from educators and, I mean, for a lot of the kids that come out there is, you know, area public schools and usually in parts of the city that are a little bit, you know, less affluent. And, um, you know, what we hear is that it's an eye opener. You know, they have no experience of this food in its natural state. It just shows up on a plate, usually overcooked in some form that doesn't look particularly appetizing. And they're not adventurous at all. And, And who can blame them in that context, right? They have no connection to this but then when they go out, what we find is when they go out and they see it and they pull it off of the stem and they put it in their mouths, it's like their eyes light up and they, you know, it's like. That's a, a revelation. It's a revelation. Right. and We hear that so much yeah. about when kids have an opportunity to, to, Absolutely. to be, you know, be a part of the right. process of planting. So, and So we bring them out to the farm. We do a full day curriculum, rich, you know, it's a really rich curriculum. And then we, and then we bring the market uh, to them. Uh, at the school for a, for a follow up visit to really show them, you know, here 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 it all is. Um, Where's the farm located, Michael? The farm is located at a historic site. It's very uh, it's a very cool part of Arcadia. It's located at uh, Woodlawn Estate, which is uh, owned by the National Trust for Historic Preservation. So we have a and really that's near Alexandria, Virginia. It's yeah, it's out. It's it's near Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon. This okay. was all Got part it. of George Got Washington's uh, okay. farm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so it's an old mansion. It was uh, built by George Washington for his great grandniece, hmm. um, and there's also happens to be a, oddly enough a Frank Lloyd Wright house on the site because nice. the trust uh, picked one of those up in a, yeah. in, a, in, a in a good deal and, and relocated it over there. Um, but so and we also have a, a veterans farmer training program, um, which is uh, uh, you know really 
to us just makes all the sense in the world. Um, we have a huge problem with, uh, you know, a lack of farmers in this country. The average age of a farmer, I think, is 59 in Virginia, you know, where we do most of our work at 61. Um, and when those folks retire, you know, in general, their kids are not there to, to pick up the flag and carry it forward. And what that means is that as they retire, in general, their land is sold either for non-agricultural use or for agricultural use within the industrial system. Um, so we need more farmers uh, to, to keep good food uh, coming. So, And then we have this incredible, you know, I look at it as a it's just this incredible resource in this country of, of, of veterans, of people who have shown, you know, commitment, perseverance, um, you know, um, incredible resilience, um, and who are mission-driven people. They want to be engaged in helping the country. They want to be involved in helping their neighbors and helping their communities. Um, and, and, and they also, a lot of them, grew up in mm-hmm. rural situations. They certainly understand you know, a lot of the, the hardships that go along with being a farmer. They, they're, not, they're no strangers to sacrifice. Uh, so they're sort of an incredible, you know, pool of people uh, to, be, uh, to be looking at this. And, and we really uh, look at it as, you know, the, the mission continues is mm-hmm. sort of the motto for the yeah. Michael, for this program. Michael, I wanted to go back to something you said when you said that with the mobile markets, mm-hmm. when you go into these communities, people yep. didn't really feel like it was accessible to them. Right. So what did you do to kind of bridge that gap? Yeah, it's really fascinating. When we go into these communities, uh, what we generally, we get a little bit of skepticism. It depends on exactly where we are because, you know, but but we get a little bit of skepticism. We really see rapid growth or significant growth year on year and even from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. Um, The grandmas are our early adopters. (laughs) Grandmas come out and find us. That's great. And they they tell, and they, it's very gratifying because they tell us that, you know, thank thank God you're here. (laughs) You know, there's nowhere for me to get food to cook, and they want to cook, you know, and and they want to cook great food. And they can, I mean, and they also can evaluate food. So they're looking at the stuff that we're bringing them compared to the grocery store they have to walk 15 minutes to get to. so we try to go into the teeth of the problem, but the mobile market's mission is to become obsolete in every market that it's operating in. So we, we really want to, you know, we want to pass the baton. We want, to, we want a, yeah. a grocery store to move in, and then we'll, we'll hand off our customer information. We'll, we'll promote the heck out of, you know, go to this place, and we'll move on to the next spot that mm-hmm. needs it. Um, so, and I think that's something that we've tried to, you know, really keep in, in the front of our, our heads with Arcadia all the time is that, this mission changes, you know, as time mm-hmm. goes on. And so you, you can't get so wedded to a program that you just, God, we're going to, we need to keep resourcing this program. The program changes, you know. I want to come back to veterans uh, for a minute because one of the things that strikes me is we're, there's a couple of things that strike me about this conversation. One is that we're having it on the Monday morning after we've spent an entire weekend with the president and the entire country obsessed with whether football players uh, stand during the national anthem or take a knee. Uh, And it just seems to me that one way to really demonstrate our respect for men and women who serve is to get behind what both of you are doing. I mean, there's, you know, obviously these symbolic issues have import, but, uh, you know, I think for Americans who are, you know, listening to this and watching this and thinking about like, well, 
yeah, I do want to demonstrate my commitment to this country and those who serve it. It seems to me that, you know, Dog Tag Inc. is one really powerful way well, to it, do that. And also, you know, the, the program that you, you know, really, you're involved in. If you're suggesting that um, the NFL uh, start a program to support yeah, exactly. Megan and my, <laughs> I totally endorse that. I would that. be fine with that. <laughs> yeah. I could figure that out for sure. Well, it's Make just, that you connection. Know, yeah. It, just, it makes, kind of makes me crazy when, yeah. you know, you see these conversations take place at a superficial level. Right. And there are real on-the-ground ways and people who are doing work that, you know, both of you so honor, you know, the people who have served to the extent that, you know, the media is a megaphone for these things. We've got to find more ways to, to bring this to yeah. attention. Um, and then the other thing that strikes me, of course, without being too presumptuous, is just like we've got to find ways for the two of you yeah. to do more well, together because yeah, yeah, it yeah, just yeah. seems like, you know, so obviously. That will happen. I think Pete actually was part of the, the Part dinner. of the pro, pro Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then yeah. when you do the big dinner, we uh, yep. we do all the pies for yeah, it. Of course. So which is coming certain, up this weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah so yeah. we do certain – we, we – uh, there, there have been there have been some, of, some good connections, but yeah, I but absolutely. I but I think you're absolutely right. There needs to be there need to be more. Yeah. Well, well, when yeah. do we get? Yeah, a speaking bite? of pies, so <laughs> Megan, tell us what you've brought. You've brought a feast here of pies, cookies, scones, um, cake, brownies, uh, all made it, all made at Dog Tag Bakery. <laughs> yes. Um, so one of the things that Father Curry and Connie always say is that no one goes to a bakery to be mad, um, and so all of our products really we kind of. We say are just made with love and appreciation. So we have our brownies. They're called Shadow of Brownies. Um, we cut them in half, and the goal is that when you open them, I don't know if you want to share, but the goal is to <laughs> yes, share. You've heard about my I brothers. I, I, I put one sweet. off to the side here for later. I so. did notice that. That one, is not, that one is not shareable. <laughs> this one is shareable. <laughs> that make there. Uh, He's very to, generous, but yeah. not when it comes to cookies and sweets and um, So I just brought a few of our items. So this is uh, we have two uh, savory scones, uh, two sweet, uh, sweet scones. Um, that you know, every morning again, we make everything fresh. So uh, we have. Um, we're gonna bring these out. And we're gonna take right, little pieces. Everyone while you're that talking. works at bakery knows our, our team. I want. So that's the, the feta um, turkey mm. um, and spinach, and then that's the ham, cheddar, and chive. Mm. Um, this is uh, we call it trail mix scone, which is delightfully addicting. Um, and then this is our orange uh, crayon. Uh, we and then we have again. I brought pies and options just because life short, eat dessert first kind of mentality. <laughs> um, this is a chocolate pie. Uh, this is our, our lemon uh, custard pie. This is our chocolate, uh, super decadent. You need five cups of coffee or milk with it. Red velvet, and that's our new lemon poppy uh, seed. Thank you. Uh, no, of course. And these are all available all the time? All available all the time. We Seems actually like have our cakes collection. out starting at 7 a.m. when we open the bakery. Um, but we have an amazing team. Uh, that you know comes together and creates these delicious products, and it's you know Father Curry and Connie again. Our whole organization is based on values, and feeding, giving people good food feeds the soul, and so that's why it's all natural ingredients. We're a nut-free bakery, so we have no nuts on the premise. We don't bake with nuts as well, um, so it makes us a little bit different. But part of having a beautiful bakery and delicious products is that you get to show it, right? So part of our program, and when you go through the process of rotating through the different areas, is that you actually learn to create these products. Um, and knowing that you have a, it's a lot of tough love in our program, but it's really about igniting that human spirit and finding purpose again. Best way for people to learn more is your website? Uh, dogtaginc.org. Okay. Uh, and our bakery is dogtagbakery.org. Excellent. And I'm assuming the same with um, Arcadia. Arcadia. Yeah, arcadiafood.org. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell us, um, as we wrap up, tell us what's next, both for your neighborhood restaurant group. Uh, is 16 enough? Uh, well, <clears throat> we just had an announcement come out about a, a special project that is not going to happen for another uh, two years, but it's exciting. Not that far away from here, actually, about um, about eight blocks uh, down Pennsylvania uh, in a neighborhood uh, that is kind of at the bottom of Hill East or the 
or the eastern edge of uh, Capitol Hill, um, a project that's going to be uh, multi-tenant. So we're going to do some of the, it's, it's going to be kind of a larger format space with a number of different food options and bars in it. Um, and we're That's the new thing. excited about that. And it's all, yeah. up, I think it all under the restaurant, yeah. the rubric yeah. of Neighborhood Restaurant Group. The Neighborhood Restaurant Group is going gonna, is gonna to manage it, and mm-hmm. we're going to have some of our brands in it, and we're going to very carefully, and we're talking to a lot of people right now, bring a few a few others in and maybe rotate some. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, if we'd have started a restaurant, we'd have had an inside track. We, <laughs> we missed the boat. Hey, we totally late. missed the boat. You should, you should talk to me we, before you yeah. jump <laughs> into that. I think you might, you might have picked the uh, <laughs> restaurant business is crazy. Uh, and how about for Arcadia? Um, Arcadia is going to keep growing its programs. You've got to be in the same position that we were talking about in terms of having more demand than there is supply. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a number of initiatives going on right now. We're working with the USDA. We've got a, we've helped to develop a, a point of sale system for, uh, for, for farmers markets that we're going to be trying to get implemented around the country. Um, which is really critical because right now, you know, there's no data being collected in any of these places. It'd be helpful on a practical level, but it's also helpful for us to help to uh, understand how these inter- how these things work, you know, what is the, can you track any impact over mm-hmm. time from what you're selling at farmer's markets and what are people actually buying at farmer's markets? Um, so really, you know, growing the, the, the veterans program and we have some big plans, you know, out at, uh, out at Woodlawn to really turn it into a hub of the sustainable food movement. Yeah. And Megan, what else should we know about uh, your future plans in addition to expanding around the country with uh, bakeries? You know, right now we're we're still um, we're kind of focusing on making sure what we do here really well. Yep. Um, so we actually work. Um, do you ever work with the Veterans Farmers Coalition? Absolutely. So yep. mm-hmm. so right now, like our coffee comes from Compass Coffee, which are two Marines that yep. started in D.C. Um, our sausage comes from um, Hudson um, Farms, which is out in Virginia, which are two Army veterans. Um, mm-hmm. We use sauces that are actually an active Navy gentleman who started his own buffalo and barbecue sauce called G Dubs. Um, so we're we're looking to find other ways. Um, I'm a macaw chocolate. It's another one. He's a marine. And his wife is from Brazil, and so they have this delicious uh, chocolate. So all that we sell in the bakery. So we're trying to really kind of hone what we do here really well and be really thoughtful and purposeful because all of that really supports our program. And so we're looking to make sure that our impact of our program is happening. So we're right now we're, you know, it's for nonprofits. It's all about impact. I believe numbers are one thing, but the impact is greater. And so um, we're continuing to recruit. We have our next class coming in in January, so we still have application open. Um, so we're looking for uh, veterans, military spouses, and caregivers still to come into that program. But for us, um, you know, we really love D.C. and really, really love our community. Yep. And I think the greatest joy that we get to have is see our fellows interact with our community and creating a place for that. Um, and so for us, you know, we want more people to come in and check us out um, and understand that, you know, all the proceeds go to our program. Um, but again, we're really careful about that, too. If you want people to come in and feel good about what they're doing, yeah. but you don't want them to feel like they're doing it as, as an obligation or right. it's overwhelming. Right. So and we don't want anyone to feel bad. You know, we're good. We're, we're empowering our, our, our fellows. We don't, this isn't a charity. You know, we run it like, an, like a for-profit because it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we're teaching men and women tools and, you know, go back into the workforce or start their own. But they're doing it, right? Pete started his own farm. Rachel started her own business. We didn't give them anything other than tools. Mm-hmm. And so we want people to come in and be part of that and support it and then look for, you know, other organizations that are doing the same. So... Yeah, come in for a cup of coffee. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> I'll bring it. Well, and I'm I love it there. Too. And these scones were the scones are amazing. Yeah. yeah, when you I'm heat them up. I'm a savory person. Yeah, so. when you heat them up, they're pretty insane. They're so good. <laughs> 
Oh. Well, I'm so glad we have this opportunity to learn Thank more about what so you much. both are doing. It's, it's amazing. I learned so much today. Yeah. It's been phenomenal. We're stubborn. We're nothing if not stubborn. We've <laughs> been down in a long time. Um, Ogilvy from Dog Tagging. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much. And Michael Babin, Neighborhood Restaurant Group and Arcadia Center right. for Sustainable Food and Agriculture. Thanks thank so much. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for the treats. Get closer to the problems that you care about. There's a famous photographer named Robert Kappa who once said, if your pictures are not good enough, you're not close enough. Well, in the social change space, getting close, bearing witness, going into the community, working with people directly, getting an understanding of what they need, that's often the precursor to really powerful transformational change. Don't just post, don't just preach, get your hands dirty and get involved. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.